All right, so this is uh, the message in a little bit different uh, context than what it would have been uh, if I had delivered it Sunday morning at house church as I had intended to do, um, you know, standing up in front of an assembly um, gathered for Sunday morning um, service. That's where I would have typically delivered this message. But um, because the nature of house church can sometimes take a different um, little twist and turn, I like to think of it as a river that flows um, where it will within um, um, somewhat of the bank. There are banks to the river. You know, we don't go completely off course, but sometimes the river does not flow in the direction of allowing for a like structured time for a, a sermon delivery. And that was the case yesterday, um, July 23rd, 2023. We had a beautiful service that was um, really for the people that were there in the house. And that I give a lot of space to experience and um, for us to experience how the Spirit is moving and speaking to the people that that got dressed and showed up to a place in space and time. And um, there was a lot of music, a lot of prayer, um, a lot of contemplation, a very sweet spirit that, that was in that house yesterday. Um, and it, it just was very, it was calming, it was healing, it was very soothing, and it was exactly what it needed to be for the people that were there. However, I had a message on my heart that I had worked on all week um, and I just felt like I really still wanted to share it and so so I'm in my office today um, Monday um, at the church just upstairs where where house church meets and sitting at my desk so it's a little different context but the content I hope will be similar to what I had planned to share yesterday um, the title of this message is don't call it too soon. Um, and we have started again at House Church doing the lectionary readings. And so the lectionary um, reading uh, from the gospel for this past week was from Matthew 13, 24 through 30 and 36 through 43 about the, par the parable of the um, wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds. Um, and the title again is Don't Call It Too Soon. So I, I also am fascinated, just as, an aside, as a side note, for how the people who put the lectionary readings together, how they are thematically on point from a Hebrew text, um, you know, and this one was from Isaiah and also from Genesis about Jacob's ladder and Jacob having a vision of the angels ascending and descending on the ladder at this certain point um, on the earth where he saw this vision and he said this is this must be the the house of God um, which he named Bethel which which translates to the house of God and he put his head on a stone um, a stone pillow they like to call it and you know the other texts in the lectionary for that day um, start using the metaphors of God being um, a rock, a rock that is like no other, and Jesus being the rock and, of our salvation. And the psalmist has a lot to say about 
using the the metaphor of God being like a rock or God being a rock. Um, and so it's just interesting to me how we get these themes and these um, repeated phrases that when you begin to put together your Bible text can really start to make sense in the overarching story of why we say God is the rock of our salvation and Jacob Jacob being one of the um, the early church fathers um, and him laying his head on a rock and having a vision at a certain place which then you know strangely in in a really cool way if you look up the the stone that Jacob put his head on um, and had that vision that stone is still being used today it's called um, uh, the stone of scone I think and it's actually was used for the coronation of the most recent uh, coronation of King Charles in in Great Britain um, I think it's housed in Scotland and it is a coronation stone and it, but anyway that's just a, an aside that they believe that that was the stone that Jacob used and it's gone back and forth between Scotland and Britain um, during wars and things like that but anyway that's just a different that's a, a cool thing and then the Psalms reading was from um, Psalm 139 and I just love this this is more devotional and just kind of let these words uh, rinse over your your ears um, from Psalm 139 oh Lord you have searched me and known me you know when I sit down and when I rise up you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. For darkness is as light to you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I had someone come up to me yesterday at church and tell me a story about their young nephews as she... Um, will often comfort them saying that God goes before you and God is with you in when your mom and your dad are not with you God is with you with you beside you and with you before you and the little one spoke up and said but Aunt Vicki do you know that God is also behind us and I think that is beautiful recognition and that's what we hear in the psalm today, that you are behind us and before us and within us. And even if we make our bed in Sheol, or like we like to call it, in hell, 
even behold God is there with us we have a saying that well you've made your bed now you've got to lie in it that is so not the love nature of God it's not a thing that we should say to people as if God is making them lie in the bed that they made for themselves we see here in the Psalms that even God is there with us to redeem us and take us by the hand and lead us out if we will open our eyes and accept the invitation to to walk away from a from a situation possibly that we have made for ourselves that we consider to be hell and then um, I wanted to also draw our attention to verse 23 of Psalm 39 search me O God and know my heart test me and know my thoughts see if there's any wicked way in me that word wicked is a really unfortunate translation of that word it's actually the in the Hebrew it's the word for pain and heartbreak for hurt for pain so it says search me O God and know me and see if there's any painful way in me and then lead me in your way everlasting so it's inviting God into the very center motivation of our being to see where we hurt and that is so congruent with the other phrases about the Lord being our good shepherd and anointing our head with oil and healing us and looking at us and searching us investigating us after a day's work or a day's play a day out in the pasture out in the field how we have hurt ourselves or tangled ourselves up like a little sheep would tangle themselves up and and maybe get cut or bruised or fall down he's always the good shepherd pursuing us and and searching us investigating us like come here let me take let me take a look at you let me let me see where you've been let me see what you've gotten into not to condemn or berate or make us lie in the the bed that we've made but instead to lift us out and take us by the hand and and in and analyze what's gone wrong so that the um, the healing ointment the anointing the the oil of the Lord can soothe and salve and heal the places that hurt us it's always important to remember that these translations sometimes at first glance can be so misleading our English translations of the Hebrews the Aramaic and the Greek languages can be so misguided at times and it's so important that we really really work with a verse and work with a text one of my people that I that I follow um, some of her her uh, writings I enjoy Diana Butler Bass she has a phrase that she loves to ask about a text that seems difficult she asks this she says what what most surprised me about this text what most surprised me about this text just wondering if we can approach some harder texts like we're getting ready to with the wheat and the tares with the wheat and the weeds can we approach them with a sense of questioning and wonder and curiosity I know that for me the parable of the wheat and the tares is difficult I've been sitting with it for now eight days I first read it in the lectionary not for the first time but for the first time 
in a long time. I read it last week, and it goes like this. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore again, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and pluck them out? But he replied, No. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then the crowds, then he left the crowds and went into the house. And it goes on to say that his disciples approached him and asked him to, to explain it. Explain what this means to us. And you know, at first reading, I am reminded of all of the ways that well-intended preachers over my lifetime have preached this parable. And they have made it, you know, the thing about my, my upbringing and my Christianity, the very fundamentalist, conservative, evangelical in nature Christianity that I was raised with, when they would preach, they preached with such certainty as if they knew without any doubt exactly what these stories meant. And I think that was the biggest hang-up of the culture that I was raised in is that certainty, that need to know, that need to be 100% right without question, without curiosity, without pondering, without wondering. And I think that we missed a lot of the nuance that the text is trying to offer. I mean, the people hearing it in that, in that moment didn't know what it meant. And they had context of being farmers and being closer to the ground than we are today with our concrete streets and our sidewalks and our walking into supermarkets with our visa card to buy a plant that we don't even know where it came from. We don't even know the farmer that planted it. We don't know the seed. We don't know the storehouse that it came from. We don't know the ground that it was grown in. We don't know anything about it. And yet we're reading these texts a couple thousand years later acting like, yeah, I, I know exactly what this means. <laughs> this is talking about an es eschatological, in time, heaven and hell. The reapers will come and the, the good people will be put here and the bad people will be put there. And we want so badly to draw lines between who is in and who is out. And these parables can provide the confirmation bias that we are so desiring to have. Who will be in at the end of, the, of the end of time? And I think it's interesting to notice some of the nuance in this story. 
that it really is talking about the end of an age. I think that's important to note that at the end of the age, just as the weeds are collected and burned up with the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Interesting that that's not the end of all time. It's not the end of all judgments, but it's at the end of an age. And when Jesus was speaking this parable, this was before the fall of Jerusalem. It was before the fires came and burned their city down. And, you know, it's also interesting to note that these words were then captured and pinned far after that had happened. So they're talking about pinning something that when Jesus spoke it had yet to happen, and then, then they're, they're writing about it after it happened. So interesting to notice those lenses of perception and, and experience at which time they were speaking. And I think it's interesting that they, that these, these weeds, it's actually the, it's still alive in the world today. It's called Darnell. It's a weed that looks strikingly like wheat. Um, It's, it's been completely eradicated from crops in Europe and here in the, in the States, but it's still, Um, growing alongside wheat in certain parts of the world today. And if you look at pictures of wheat and Darnell, they look so similar. Um, But like the stalk and like the head and grain, all of it looks very, very strikingly. They mimic each other very well. But upon further investigation, one has fruit in it while one is void of any fruit. <coughs> and interestingly, the wheat, when, stu- when, when put next to the darnel, the darnel, the weed, stands straight up. Like it just grows straight up, looking just like the body, the stalk, everything looks so similar, but it stands straight up. While the wheat, when it becomes burdened, if you will, with the fruit, it starts to bend over, starts to have a curvature to it, starts to bend with the weight of the fruit of the wheat inside, while that mimicking stock just stands straight up and I, and I think that is so interesting to think about the different picture of the one who is posing like a fruit bearer is uh, looks so perfect <laughs> I'm standing so straight like what's wrong with with them over there that are bowed low or bowed over or look like they are burdened. Yeah, interesting difference. Going back to the title of my message here is don't call it too soon. Don't be so quick to uproot what you perceive as being a threat or being evil And don't get me wrong, Darnell actually sucks away the life-giving nutrients, the life-giving nutrients of the soil. It, it, uh, 
it takes all the water from the wheat. It is not a desirable thing to have growing in the field along next to the wheat. It is not desirable at all. It is something that you want to eradicate because it takes from the wheat the life-giving nutrients and life-giving water that the wheat desperately need to produce its fruit. And But the wise and patient farmer in our story says, don't be so quick to call it. Don't be so quick to pluck it out. Because in doing so, as they have grown together, you will then pull out the good, the good seed as well. You'll pull them both out, even though that's not what you intended. If you go in too quickly to try to pull out and separate and distinguish who is in and who is out, who you think should be in and who you think should be out, you will pluck them both out. I'm always interested in thinking about these stories as well as how can we take this to the inside, the inside temple, the, the individual, instead of thinking about these two different plants as two different people, what if we considered them as the same, growing in the same field, perhaps the field of the soul, the field of the mind, that has parts that are good and growing fruit and parts that look like they might, but have yet to produce possibly parts of our own selves that steal desperately the nutrients that the other parts of our lives need. Perhaps it's addiction or abuse of some sort or a way of thinking that is stealing the life-giving nutrients that our systems so desperately need. And yet we're learning from that. We're learning from those those failures, those weaknesses. And the loving, patient, all-wise, all-knowing, patient God allows both to continue growing. Fascinating, fascinating thing to consider. Fascinating thing to consider as we try to make our world a better place on the outside and to make ourselves better on the inside. Fascinating to see how how patient God is, how patient um, love is, knowing the whole story, knowing, wow, how patient and loving this parable is exampling that the infinite love of God, you know, and we these are... These parables are, are sometimes metaphors and sometimes a, uh, analogies, and I think this, is an, this would be an analogy that it's like this. It's not a one-to-one -one comparison. And I definitely, as I'm you know, interpreting these, this text today, I definitely do not believe this is an end-of-time way of uh, God... Um, I don't believe that the barn and the fire are any indication of a heaven or a hell. I don't believe that those um, 
hearers, and I don't believe the speaker, Jesus, would, had heaven or hell in mind when they were speaking this parable or listening to this parable. The, this, th there was not that kind of worldview. They were not thinking about an afterlife. They were thinking about life as it was right then and there. And the hell and the heaven that we make for ourselves, um, with the way in which we weed out too soon or think of things as evil or good before we have enough light to do so. Remember our psalm text said, when, when I say that there is night all around me, surely the darkness has covered me and the light around me become night, but even the darkness is not dark to you, the psalmist says. The night is as bright as the day and the darkness is as light to you. I wonder why these texts are paired together. Why are they paired together? Why are we seeing the wheat and the darnel, the light and the darkness, and this, this, uh, these writers, these as pontificating? What what does the light really mean to you? And what is darkness? How is darkness light to you? How, and what does it mean to be gathered? And is the burning necessarily a bad thing? <laughs> is the burning necessarily something that we should be afraid of? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that we can employ some of our other scriptures about knowing that our God is a refiner's fire, that the fire can be a good thing. Remember how Jesus said, John baptized you with water, but I come to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Not a bad thing, not something to be terrified of, not something to run away from, but something obviously fire was something that we coveted back in antiquity something we needed for life for warmth for heat for food fire was something you wanted in your life you wanted the heat at night you wanted it in the desert nights my goodness you know the heat of the sun and then it would just plummet plunge so cold at night all anybody wanted was to have the fire I think that in our 2023 ears and eyes, the way we hear these stories, we think, oh, fire, bad. <laughs> no. Fire, good. Fire, good. And certainly not looking at it with the lens of an eternal torment or eternal damnation. I want to leave you with these words from uh, that I read that I just think are so beautiful. Patrick J. Wilson a superb preacher and pastoral theologian has said, Jesus did not say that the kingdom was like a rock, fixed and solid and firm and unchanging. Jesus did not say that the kingdom was like a giant machine, that you put some things in and you get some things out, and that what you get out depends upon what you put in. He said it was like an enormous tree that grows out of a tiny seed, a tree that grows so enormous that all the birds of the air can come and find shelter in its branches. Even strange little ducks like you and me. He said that God was like a housewife who puts a smidgen of yeast in the three measures of flour and that yeast yields its life into the whole batch of dough. That is the way that the kingdom is growing from the very beginning into all that God has intended. From the foundation of the world, the very first moment of creation, 
It is the kingdom that has been on God's mind. And God is infinitely patient as it grows. Let us not be too quick to call it. But let us err on the side of patience with our infinite, infinitely patient God to allow things to grow together sometimes in a way that would seem counterintuitive. God bless you with the hearing of this word. I pray that it would plant itself in a place of surprise and wonder in your own soul, in your own heart, and you allow the Holy Spirit to continue working with you on this text. And um, it's been good to be along this journey and on this journey with you today. God bless you with peace that passes all understanding.